Spirit of God, I ask that by your anointing, let your word reach out to every single person in their homes, in their in their cars, wherever they are right now, listening to me live and those that will listen to me afterwards. I pray that the Spirit of God will minister grace to God and the the ministry of the Spirit will release to them the benefits of the new covenant. In the name of Jesus, let yokes be destroyed, let burdens be lifted, let sickness be lifted. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Wonderful. We have been looking at understanding the everlasting covenant. And we established on the first day what a covenant is. And we said that the covenant involves a cutting, and that also involves blood. And we said God had to cut a covenant with Abraham. And the reason why God cut a covenant with Abraham was because Abraham, after God had promised Abraham that he would be a father of many nations, Abraham started wavering. Abraham was wavering in his feet. And so God came in and said, well, if the promise is not enough for you, I'm going to swear by myself. So God swore by himself. So God decided to use an oath. And we said that the covenant is the highest and the highest form within which God cannot do anything beyond that. So a covenant is God's highest commitment to do anything. Anything God wants to do within the, the, the framework and the scope of a covenant, it is as good as done. So Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16 to 18 says, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Verse 17 says, Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel or the unchangeability of his counsel or his intention, confirmed it by an oath. So they gave the promise, and then they decided to co- back it up with an oath. And by these two immutable things, the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, the reason is that the promise had to do with Christ himself or the eternal, um, the, our eternal inheritance. And the oath has to do with God and his honor. That is to say, if I don't do it by myself, God could not swear by any greater, so he swore by himself. So without him, he's in, in effect, he's saying, if I don't do what I've said to you, Abraham, then I cease to exist as God. And he says, by these two things, which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. Hallelujah. That we might have a strong consolation or we must have a strong hope. Who of us who have fled for the refuge to lay hold on the hope that is set before us? So this is the hope of the gospel. So we said that the covenant as well is is also an oath. That means somebody swearing and God did swear and he swore by himself. In Genesis 15, we see God go cut a covenant with Abraham. But because Abraham would fail in the terms of the covenant, because every covenant has demands. The demands of a covenant is either death or life. You break it, you die. You do not break it, you live. And so because God knew that Abraham would not be able to keep the terms of the covenant, God decided to do it all by himself. So he walked the walk of blood with Abraham, 
and he cut a covenant with Abraham, yet Abraham was just a participant, an observer, and not one was not a participant. God was solely in charge, and God had to cut this covenant between himself and his son so that Abraham can only be a beneficiary. We saw that through that, we understood that there are eight types of covenants, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Sinaitic covenant, or the Mosaic covenant, the Levitical covenant. We also saw the Davidic covenant and also the Palestinian covenant, and then the everlasting on the, or the new covenant, hallelujah, or the new covenant. And we established strongly that there are two of them that stand out, the Abrahamic covenant and then the everlasting covenant. The two of them stand out because these two are based on promises. Hallelujah. These two are based on promises. And we said that the New Testament or the old covenant came only along the way to pass. But God's original intention was what he promised to Abraham. And in the process of giving Abraham the covenant, he also prophesied to him and told him of his seed and his descendants and how they would stay in slavery for 400 years, which actually culminated in 430 years because of Moses' error. Hallelujah. And because of that, Abraham had to go in the covenant with God and God spoke to him concerning what will happen in the future. And that is what we see in, 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 in what God did with Abraham. And so we also saw that because of that covenant, God decided to exonerate Abraham and his liabilities. And God took all of the liabilities on himself and he gave Abraham all the benefits of that covenant. We also saw that Paul in the New Testament, when he wanted to talk about the New Testament and about a covenant, decided to use a specific Greek word that is very important. Instead of using sunteke, he uses daiteke. And daiteke means the covenant and the promise are the same. The covenant and the promise are the same. Hallelujah. The covenant and the promise are the same. So in the New Testament, we see God enact a testament. And we said a testament is also a will. And a will is an estate that has been left behind by a testator or somebody who has who wrote the will. And that will must be executed. Or that will needs a guarantor or a mediator for it to be executed. But for that will to be executed, the, 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 the testator must die. The testator must die. Hebrews 9 Verse 15 to 18 says, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And we said the First Testament is not the first, is not the Abrahamic covenant, but rather the law of of Moses. We also find out in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 24 is the scripture says and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. So the new covenant was enacted through the blood of Christ. So when we are celebrating Easter we are not just celebrating an event we are celebrating the redemptive work of God in Christ Jesus or the new testament in Christ Jesus. This is my blood. Jesus said this is my blood that is shed for you it is the blood of the New Testament. And so to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling 
that speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. So Jesus' blood was also a blood of sprinkling. Hallelujah. But aside the death of Christ, so in Christ's death, he became our mediator. He had to die. And through death, he became the guarantor. The guarantor simply means that the guarantor simply is the person that executes the will that is left by the testator. But in his resurrection, when he went to sit on the, on the, on the throne of God, he became our surety, our surety or our guarantor, our surety. That is to say that without fail, my honor, my name, my throne is at stake in case these words that I've spoken do not come to pass. So we find in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament or an everlasting testament. So Jesus was our testator. He is not just a testator. He is also the mediator of the New Testament. Not just the mediator. He is also our surety of the new testament hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 and for this cause he is the mediator of what the new testament he is also the mediator and also our surety praise the lord now so galatians chapter 3 verse 17 and this i say that the covenant that was confirmed before of god in christ the law which was 400 years after in other words, what he was saying here that was confirmed in Christ was actually the Abrahamic covenant because this happened before 400 years after. 430 years after, cannot disannul it, that it should make the promise of none effect. I told you that the Abrahamic covenant was enacted on promise. Hallelujah. So 2 Corinthians 3 verse number 6 says, who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament. So we have become able ministers of the New Testament. But how did we become the able ministers of the New Testament when we did not have a testament before? Because I told you yesterday that the Old Testament also meant that a New Testament was coming. The reason why you have a new is because there was an old. And the Old Testament was not given to the was not given to the Gentile, neither was it given to the church. The Old Testament was given to the Hebrew and the Jews. And therefore, for them, they received what we call the New Testament. But for the Gentile, what we received is what we call the everlasting covenant because we never had a covenant. The first time this covenant was initiated or prophesied was through the man Jeremiah. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31, from the verse number 31 downwards. So let's look at Jeremiah chapter number 31, from the verse number 31. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob. And yesterday I established what the house of Israel and the house of Jacob is. I said that because the new covenant, the new covenant will be made with the house of Israel because the house of Israel was the house of Abraham and the house of Judah was the house of David. God made or God cut a covenant with David. And God, in God cutting a covenant with David, well, let's, let's, let's look at a, a, a scripture here in Psalm 89. 
Psalm 89. Psalm 89. If you read from the verse number 1, you will find out that the top says that this is the muscle of Ethan the Ezraite. Ethan the Ezraite was the only person that whose wisdom was compared to the wisdom of Solomon. And he's the one that wrote this Psalm 89 and not actually David. And this is what he had to say. And in, in writing about the Psalm, he talked about David. He says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shall thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant that thy seed will I establish forever. And that meant that the covenant God made with David and the house of David or the house of Judah was an everlasting covenant forever. And build up thy throne to all generations. So when he said that with the house of Israel and the house of David, at this point under the New Testament, the New Testament became a merged, the merged the covenant between David or the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant to become the everlasting covenant. Hallelujah. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders. He says, and the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be, to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness run about thee, thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces, as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with a strong arm. The heavens are thine, the earth is also thine. Then we jump forward, we go all the way down, and we see this same guy talking about david and it in 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 in, in the verse number 18 says for the lord is our defense and the holy one of israel is our king then thou speakest in vision to thy holy one and saidest, i have laid help upon one that is mighty i have exalted one chosen out of the people i have found david my servant and with my holy oil have i anointed him with whom my hand shall be established my arm also shall shall strengthen him the enemy shall not exact upon him nor the son of wickedness afflict him and i will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him but my faithfulness and my mercy my faithfulness take note of the words faithfulness and mercy because we will find the same weddings in the new testament it says my faithfulness and my mercy will i not it says my faithfulness and my mercy just a moment i just skipped the verse i was reading um 24 it says but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him and in my name shall his horn be exalted i will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers in other words i'll make him great 
he shall cry unto me, Thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forever. And my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever. And his throne as the days of heaven. In other words, his throne shall be everlasting. Just as eternity past and eternity present, his throne shall also be eternal. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with, with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness. So here again we see God swearing by his holiness. Making an oath by his holiness. That I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever. And his throne as the sun before me. And it shall be established forever as the moon. And as faithful as a faithful witness in heaven. Awesome. But thou hast cast off and abhorred. Thou hast been wroth with thine anointed. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. Thou hast broken down all his hedges. Thou hast brought his strongholds to ruin. All that pass by the way spoil him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. Thou hast set up the right hand of his. So we see. Ethan, the Israelite, is now invoking the contents of the covenant that was made to David. That look, this is what you said to David. You said you will never lie to David. But now we see that you have gone against your word or your word is failing. Yet you have said your word can never fail. This is a man under the Old Testament but knew how to invoke the content or the terms of the covenant. And today we are dealing with the contents of the everlasting covenant. The content of the everlasting covenant. So we see here in Jeremiah 31, the verse number 32, that not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, that is with, the, the, with, with their, with their, with their um, progenitors, in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. Guess when God, when did God come to cut the covenant with David? God cut the covenant with David after David had messed up with Bathsheba and had finished his business with Bathsheba. Then God came in and cut an everlasting covenant with David. Who does that? Because it is, it will be against God's justice that he would hold anything against david the bible says he says i have found my servant david and also it is also to prove that it is not our doings that qualify us for the mercies of god and we'll look at that in a moment praise god now so let's look at the contents of this covenant the verse number 32 says with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, 
although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. Verse 33. Now look at this. But this shall be the covenant. So these are now the contents of the covenant. That I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law. Take note of the word law. Is one word law. In their inward parts. And write it in their hearts. And will be their God. And they shall be my people. Let's read on. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor. And every man his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. In other words, it is never going to be my nature to remember their sins, their iniquities and their sin. If those ordinance, verse 35 says, Thus says the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divided the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. In other words, he's trying to say, I swear by myself and by my all creation, if those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. In other words, this covenant is everlasting. Unless we see the sun vanish and we see the moon also vanish and the elements are no more in place, then God will no more be God. But that far from it, hallelujah, because God is faithful. In Hebrews chapter 8 from verse 7 to 13, we see, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house. Now, So now we go into the New Testament in Hebrews, and we see how Paul, who took the same revelation from Jeremiah now, and he is interpreting it, or trans, trans, interpreting it in the New Testament, and let's see how he puts it. He says, in that, in that he saith, a new covenant he has made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. Next. Oh, verse, no, 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 no. From verse 7, please. It's for if that the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The same words again. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws. Jeremiah, he says law. In Hebrews, he's saying laws. There is a reason for that. And I will explain that just in a second. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that, he says, 
a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now that now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So there are three components of this New Testament. The first one is that he spoke of the law or the law of life. What we call number one, the law of life. Number two, he spoke of forgiveness. Number three, he spoke of inward knowledge so there are three components and contents of the new testament the first component is the law of life in jeremiah jeremiah says the law but he will put his law in their heart but in the new testament he talks about laws it is simple the simple explanation is this the law is one is the law of life but the law of life flows through streams so with the manifestation of the law of life in the life of the believer flows through different streams it's like a big pipe that distributes to houses and so every house receives the manifestation of the same flow of river it is just simply what paul meant and so the first covenant spoken of here we are talking about what the abrahamic covenant so these three are the three components and let's look at the three components quickly we are talking about the law of life what is the law of life every life has a law Hallelujah. Every life has a law. Romans chapter 8, the verse number 2. A law is called, this law is spontaneous. Every law that is initiated in the world is spontaneous and is regulated. Now, in the Old Testament, the law was written outside them so they could not what? Meet these laws. In the New Testament, this law has been put in in us the bible says if any man be in christ is a new creation what we receive is we receive eternal life but eternal life comes into our spirit man and into our life this is what is called the law of life for the law of the spirit in romans 8 to the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death verse 3 for what the law could not do the in that it was weak through the flesh. So the law was given to fallen men who are men of the flesh. And it was it was an outside law that they were supposed to do. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. We find in the new covenant, God is the one that takes all the responsibility. And he says, I will, I will, I will. I will write my law in their hearts. I will be this. I will forgive their iniquities. I will not remember. God became the one that was responsible for all of the the, the all of what the irresponsibilities of the covenant god sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh or taking on sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh hallelujah for sin condemn what sin in the flesh verse 4 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us not by us so the righteousness of god is fulfilled in us how is the righteousness of god fulfilled in us it is fulfilled in us on the account of the man that trapped sin in his body that was what jesus did jesus trapped sin in his body so that you and i will no more walk under the condemnation of sin that's why the scripture said therefore there is no more what condemnation to them that are in christ jesus that walk not after the law but after what the spirit now it says the law of life is is so we are looking at the law of life how does the law of life function the law of life functions in 
a certain way. It is supposed to freely operate in the life of the believer. It is supposed to be spontaneous and it's supposed to be what? To be to flow. Life for every creature is different. The life of a bird is different from the life of an animal of a of a cow. The life of a bird is to make the bird naturally fly. That is the life of a bird. The life of a fish is to naturally swim in water. That is the life of a fish. The life, every life has its characteristics. The life of the spirit also has a life, has its characteristics. The life of the spirit is supposed to operate in the spirit of the man. Hallelujah. It's supposed to operate where? In the spirit of a man. So God has his life. It is called eternal life. And every life has a law. This life is what the, the, the scriptures is what God has given to us. God's life is the divine life. And this is what makes us live as God and operate as God, operate in his class and operate freely as God, God's children. Every life has its natural abilities and natural functions. That is what a law is. Now, God's law, when placed in you, you find out that this law must be able to have its free access to your emotions, to your will, to your mind. So the law of life that was given to man or given to God is supposed to flow in various dimensions of our life. That is why in the New Testament it's called the laws. I will put my laws in their heart. The reason is that the law must manifest or influence your mind. The law must influence your heart. The law must influence your conscience. The law must influence your will. In Luke chapter 1 verse 51, let's quickly look at these scriptures to establish a few of these thoughts. And then we, so when the, Spirit of life is given to us. The life of the spirit is in our heart, but it's also in our spirit man. The spirit man and the heart are a little bit different. The, the, the reason is this. The, 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 the heart is related to different faculties of the body. And so the spirit of a man, the, the, the spirit life is put in the heart of the man so that he will be able to connect to the different aspects of him. That is what, there's different aspects of the body. That is why it's called what? The laws. I'll put my laws in their heart. That's why Paul used the word laws. Luke one fifty one says, he has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. So your heart has an imagination. So the law of the spirit of life must operate in your imagination, even though it's connected to your heart. Let's look at Mark 2 verse 8. Mark 2 verse 8. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reason within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? It is, con- it is their mind, it is their reasoning, but it's connected to where? Their heart. Hallelujah. Then let's look at John, Hebrew, let's look at Hebrews 10 verse 22. Hebrews 10 22 talks about the conscience. So all these dimensions of the man must receive the spirit life of the man flowing through him. Praise the Lord. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the spirit life must be able to affect the mind, must be able to affect our 
conscience must be able to affect our desire. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven and eight. It says, "Let every man purpose in his heart, in his heart as much as he has purpose in his heart. Let them give accordingly." That is talking about the influence of the spirit on what on our on our will. So the spirit life has the ability to operate in our will, has the ability to operate in your mind, has the ability to operate in your body, but it, it finds expression through us allowing the spirit. That's why it says the laws shall be written in their hearts. In other words, the manifestation of the laws shall be in their mind, in their body, in their influence. This is how the spirit life influences a man to begin to live a victorious life. So when the spirit life or the eternal life influences your mind you begin to think at you begin to have the thoughts and the mind of christ when the spirit life or the divine life begins to influence your will you begin to think like god you begin to act when you make decisions there are decisions that will be synchronized or there will be a synchronicity with the spirit of god or the mind of god when your conscience is also influenced by the spirit of life it means that when you are taking steps you'll be directed by the con- your conscience your conscience will be a sure guide when you are about to make a mistake it will just check you when your mind is about to think thoughts that are not thoughts of christ the spirit life takes hold of your thoughts and your mind and recalibrates your thoughts so he says what i will put my laws in their hearts in jeremiah says law but in the new testament it says what laws because in the new testament it is one pipe the eternal life flowing in our heart but eternal life must find full expression eternal life cannot operate fully in the life of a man if the man is walking in fear walking in worry Walking in doubt, walking in because as you walk in doubt, you are not yielding yourself to the forces of eternal life to operate through your heart by faith. If you walk in fear, you have be decided to make yourself a dwarf or dwarf yourself to the systems of this world. So eternal life cannot find full expression. If you walk in worry, that is why men walk in men. Many people that walk in worry cannot experience the eternal life of God in their bodies because sicknesses and diseases will take hold of your body, and then you will begin to walk like a normal man. Yet you are not natural. Hallelujah. Then the second content of 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 that it, um, eternal life is what forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. Hebrews chapter 8, 10 to 12. In the Old Testament, it was thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. In the New Testament, it is I will, I will do, I will do, I will do. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, I will put my laws in their mind. I will write them in their hearts. So the mind is connected to what? To the heart. I will write it in their mind. I will write it in their hearts. And I will be to them their God. God is the one doing everything. We are only benefiting from it. But our part is to allow that force of eternal life to now begin to gain access to our mind, to our hearts, to our conscience, to our will, to our emotions. So then we will allow the spirit life to begin to dominate our lives. Then you find out that you are not struggling to live a righteous or a victorious life. You live 
by the force of the spirit forgiveness of sins he says what their sins and their iniquities i will remember no more it's talking about eternal forgiveness i will remember no more so christ has become my righteousness but at the same time i am also the righteousness of god to be the righteousness of god is simply saying that look at me when you look at me i am a proof that god is right or god judged righteously hallelujah if you go on to the verse number 11, the scripture says, And they shall not teach every one man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for I shall, for all shall know me. The first knowledge there is, 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 is more of outside knowledge, knowing through instruction. The second one is an intuitive knowledge, knowing in your inner man. And when you know in your inner man, it affects your convictions. It makes you, to, if you know God, you are, you are not only quoting scriptures. It has come to resident in your life. God has become your father. You are not just speaking words, but the word is what you are living. It is what it means by what? They shall know me. And that is why an illiterate will know God. And a professor from a theological seminary will be, will be operating like a man from a the theological cemetery. Why? Because he only knows the letters, but the letter kill it, but the spirit giveth life. Hallelujah. So when you know him, you know him by the spirit. That's why Paul says, no, no man after the flesh, but by, by what? Know every man by the spirit. Verse number 12. For I will be merciful. This is where the forgiveness bit comes in. So number two, we said, number three, we said what? Knowledge, intuitive knowledge. Knowing God and knowing him on that basis of intuition. In other words, know him from your inner man. It flows to your, 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 your mind. And then your mind communicates the same thoughts to your brains. And then you can now quote the scriptures and you see manifestation. For I will be merciful. And I said the word merciful there is not like to go and beg and then you'll be forgiven. No. The word merciful there is the Greek word propitiation. So it says I will be propitious to their unrighteousness. In other words, God forgives us on the basis of justice, not on the basis of feelings. God does not forgive any man because, oh, you did something right. or you did. No, 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 no. God forgives on the basis of justice. What is that justice, the demand of justice? That Christ died, that all of the judgment of God was laid on Christ, and all of the anger of God that was put on Christ was put on him to satisfy God and pay for the punishment that man was supposed to, what? to, to, to pay. It is called God being propitious, propitious, um, propitious, hallelujah, to our iniquities. Praise God. God is merciful. In Exodus 34 verse 7, it says, Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. In other words, in the Old Testament, he never forgave and forgot their sins. He kept it on record in the new testament he's the same way he says what i will be propitious in other words i will in no way remember their sins i will remember no more i will in no way remember their sins past present and future let me say this um, and then i will bring my submission to a close today he says but the new in the new testament we see something here we see that god for, for forgives 
and also judicially forgets. Very important. God cannot and must not remember your sins. In fact, in the book, in, in, in his book, can God forget sins? God is not a man that can forget anything. But God, by judicial works, must not remember. He must not remember. Why? Because on judicial grounds, he forgave you. And on judicial grounds, he should not, by any means, remember your sins. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15 to 19. And then we will stop there. Hebrews 10, 15 to 19 says, Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. When we got born again, the Holy Ghost was a witness in our hearts. But in this scripture, it says, The Holy Ghost is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, 16, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, and I will write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, we see over here, see the Bible says the Holy Ghost is a witness to us. What that meant is different from the Holy Ghost being a witness in us. What it meant was that when Jesus was put on the cross and he was being paid, beaten, and all of humanity's sins came upon him. The Holy Ghost was standing there as a witness. So today, if God wants to exhume your sins, God will say, uh-uh. He paid. I was a witness. I saw everything on the cross and I saw everything he did. And so back off, God. Father, back off. He paid. I'm a witness that he did. So the Jesus, Jesus' witness that he paid for every sin, past, present, and future, is the Holy Ghost. This is how powerful forgiveness of sins is. This is how what powerful God's forgiveness of sins is. So when Christ was on the cross and was being beaten and God's stroke of judgment was landing upon him, the Holy Ghost was a witness. And his witness is to say that you can't hold this against him. In any case, somebody saying, but what about if I sin now? When God was, when Jesus was paying for the sins, you were not, you were not there. It was backdated to Calvary for you. When he was paying for your sins, it was in the future. So if it is now, whatever that has been done was, is now going to be in the, in the, what? In the past. Whatever he did is now in the past. When he was paying for the sins, it was what? In your future. Because you had not yet appeared. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How awesome. How awesome. And so you can walk in the redemptive work of Christ. So when you go before the Father, you go in knowing that everything has been paid for. And if the contents have been paid for, you go to him and you go and make demands. I told you, when it comes to facts, facts are not promises. Promises you can beg for, but facts are facts. There are facts of the covenant, and the facts is that your sins are already forgiven. There are facts that you have a knowing, and what is a knowing? That you have been healed already. You have a knowing that everything that Christ did is yours. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seeds, and heirs of the promise. You are heirs of the everlasting covenant. We want to rise up right now wherever you are in your home and you want to begin to make demands based on the contents of the covenant and the 
decree and declare right now that in the name of Jesus, everything that has been bought for me, my sins that were paid for, my every healing, every miracle that I desire, I don't need to beg for it because Christ did it for me. Every miracle, every work of the miraculous that needs to be mine, Christ has done for me. Therefore, make a demand now. Begin to take 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 claims of the contents of the covenant. He was our mediator. Not just our mediator, he was also our surety. Our surety meant that he paid for everything that was supposed to be yours. And everything that is yours, he says, if it will never be done, then my throne does not exist. That is the eternal covenant. You want to speak right now and tell God, God, whatever is my need, because your word says that I'm part of this covenant, I'm part of the everlasting covenant, if it, if you don't do it, then you don't exist as God. Now, I place a demand on what you have said concerning your word, concerning yourself. You have placed your honor, your throne, and your name on, uh, 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 you have placed your name and your, your, your throne uh, as a stake, as a swearing instrument that without it, you can never lie to me. You have never lied to the son of David. You said you will never lie to David. You are not a man that you should lie. The son of man that you should repent. Therefore, begin to speak to God right now and tell him that Father, based upon the finished work of Christ, I take hold of my health. I take hold of every miracle I desire. Every need that is mine, I take hold of it now in the name of Jesus. You want to speak to God tonight and this morning and you are telling him that Father, I am receiving, I am taking hold of everything that is mine before I leave this place. The word is coming alive in me right now. There is every creative force of the word is producing in me the miracle that I desire in the name of Jesus. And I'm not saying, no, I'm not taking a no for an answer. I'm walking out of this place with everything you have said concerning my life because you can never lie. Neither can you repent. Everything you have said, I take hold of it. I take hold of it. I take hold of it. I take hold of defense. I take hold of divine protection. I take hold of supply of resources. I take hold of children. I take hold of husbands. I take hold of wives. Manglo, sikletale, kloskitaya, mendole, klasusobradiza, in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We want to take, we are receiving the life of God into our spirit. Eternal life will begin to flow right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, speak to him now. In the mighty name of Jesus, thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you praise. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you praise. We bless you, Father. Oh, Jekel Teleleboshita. Manko Lolo 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 Bosch. Liba kosha taya labrosi. 